Thank you for downloading this sponsored podcast presented by PR Week. For more podcasts, visit us online at prweek.com. Live from Cannes, it's the PR Week podcast. Hello, everybody. It's Steve Barrett here, editorial director of PR Week and Campaign US in Cannes, on location, doing a podcast with the good folks at Bospa. And I'm um, really delighted to welcome Curtis Barra, who's a CEO and founder, and Eric Chemi, SVP of Broadcast. So, gentlemen, welcome to the PR Week podcast. Thanks for having us, Steve. This is great. It's really a pleasure to be here in Cannes and to be doing the podcast with you. What he said. It's not the worst place to hang out, but we are working hard, aren't we? You know, my pores are working hard. My sweat glands are working hard. There's a lot of work going on here. <laughs> there is a lot of work Getting going on. Getting a lot of steps in across <laughs> up and down the beach. I did 17,000 yesterday, which for me is very good. But anyway, we are going to talk about bullish communications, what works in a bear economy. So, Curtis, do you want to just sort of introduce that topic and... Why is it relevant to Cannes? And is, is there something that you've seen around Cannes this week that's specifically making that a relevant topic? You know, just to paraphrase from Phil Collins, there's something in the air tonight. And I think a lot of people are talking about it. They're concerned about it. And we're wanting to make sure that we get the word out. And in a weird way, it's Groundhog Day because every time there is a downturn or even the concern of a downturn, you know, the recommendations are the same. Hey, do not cut comms. Do not do that because otherwise your competition is going to edge their way in. But at the same time, we have to have this conversation again and again and again because it's important. And I was talking to Eric and Eric was saying that this kind of reminds you of the 80s, right? Well, I think about the the big inflation move that Paul Volcker did, 1980, 81, 82, and there was a big recession in America. All of a sudden, a couple years later, huge growth again, right? So it seems scary. We have to tamp down inflation. We have to slow the economy down, but then it was back and it was back in full steam and, and the 80s were a very powerful decade. So this reminds me of that. I also think about what we couldn't have predicted. Two years ago, we had a pandemic and we thought the world was coming to an end, shut every business down, we're not traveling. And now we're here growing faster than we've ever grown to the point that now the Fed needs to slow things down because it's so fast, it's so big. So I think it's hard to predict what the future is going to hold. I think continuing to stay in front of people, staying in front of your customers, your stakeholders, the end consumer, that's still more important than ever. I was this morning at a panel, a seminar run by the CEO of LinkedIn, and he showed, here's all the data we're seeing. Here's how the last couple of data is of hiring trends, B2B spending trends. This is what we see internally at LinkedIn. And he said, look at all the big brands we know today and we love today, Nike and Apple and McDonald's and Toyota. They've been around for decades. They've continued to build on their promise to people and they've been doing it year in and year out. They don't just disappear when there's a recession. And so he said, but they did that 50 years ago and 40 and 30. So who are the companies today that you haven't heard of? And they're not cool yet, but they need the help. They need the ad help. They need the PR help. And he put up 50 companies on the wall. And I'd heard of maybe two of them. And he said, According to our data, these technology companies are spending more than ever. They're hiring more than ever. We see it in our system. They need the help. They don't even realize they need the help right now. And are they um, U.S. companies or are we talking global data here? These are global companies. In fact, one of them is a Bospar client. And I think, you know, if you're thinking, gosh, do I have Go to... Go and drop the name, Curtis. I, I'm not going to drop the name. I'm not going to drop the name. <laughs> but let me just put it this way. If a lot of you are thinking, do I need to dust off my members only jacket? Do I really need to get ready for the 80s? I think the word is yes. I think that sets up a few things that 
communications people need to be doing now. I think, you know, now more than ever, you need to be talking about resilience. You need to be talking about how you are going to help your audiences thrive. And these are messages that hit home during a downturn. These are messages that are part of any sort of spin decision where you're thinking, how can I make the most of what I got? How can I make more money? How can I make more sales? And, you know, part of it is absolutely making sure that you're differentiating yourself at this point in time and that you're not going dark. Because right now we're seeing a lot of companies have this kind of hesitancy where they're thinking, is this my time? Should I stay or should I go? I'm really hitting my 80s songs, by the way. I was going to say that that, that was the other 80s reference I've seen on the Quasette. Mark Ronson last night was playing Michael Jackson, Madonna and ABBA. It was like, uh, even I knew the songs, you know. But anyway, that's an aside. You mentioned how um, I mean, over the past two, three years, PR's taken on a, a, a more important role in organizations as they realized how important it is in CEOs and C-suites. You mentioned that the advice, <coughs> best practice is to not cut budgets. But what you're saying is that it's almost like Pavlov's dog, people get into survival mode and that they do, they, do. They, they, they strip back on marketing and they strip back on comms actually at the most important time. It's the easiest thing to turn the lever, right? It's easy to just cut costs on that because it's not necessarily employees. Okay, it's outside spend, it's external money. We can just trim those dollars. So because it's easy to press those buttons from the CFO's office, they go ahead and do it. But the question is, should you, right? Just because I have a trigger on a gun doesn't mean I should pull it. And you think about what is the whole point of advertising and PR? You're trying to punch above your weight. You want to seem bigger than you are as a company. You want to seem stronger than you are. So if all of a sudden you're disappearing, from the world, from the room. What are you telling your audience? What are you telling your consumers and your customers? Hey, we're not really here. We're not that strong. So you want to punch above your weight. You want to seem bigger. Take market share now when everybody else is cutting. You may not necessarily grow revenues, but at least you can steal share. And when the world comes back to normal and is growing again, you've got that bigger share to go with because you've been out there. Hey, we're here. We're spending on ads. We're spending on marketing. We're spending on PR. We're always around when you look. So what does that say to me as a consumer? I should probably buy from them. They're fighting the good fight. They're strong. They seem bigger than they are because they're spending that money to tell me that story. And I think, you know, Eric, when we were talking earlier, you were saying the future really seems B2B right now. And with that, we have to think about the right messages. And you and I were talking about your experience at Bloomberg, at CNBC, and the sort of messages and storylines that reporters are looking for. And I think, you know, the big thing we were thinking about is that when you're giving your audiences value, you have to think a couple steps ahead. You have to think not just immediate, but how are the next couple steps ahead of the perimeter to really, you know, make an impact? Yeah, that's a good point. So when I was a reporter at Bloomberg, I remember this was still in the downturn. This was going back 10, 12 years ago. And some of the storylines are all about where are the jobs right now? So we know that things are generally negative, but that's not everywhere. There are growth pockets. There are growing industries. There's these hot places. Tell me those stories. So in the same way that yeah, overall macro picture might not be great, but there's a lot of great micro pictures. People want to hear about it. And those people who are successful in those worlds, they've got money to spend. They've got things to buy, whether it's B2B or B2C, they're still looking to do things. I think about the iPhone. It came out in 2007. So what happened in 08, 09, 10? Those were really bad years. It was the global financial crisis. It was a worldwide recession. It was bad in the US. 
but people were buying iPhones because it was essential to their lives. This was something that really made a difference to them. So people will still resonate. If you are selling something that matters to them, is useful to them, makes their life better or their business better, it either helps the top line on growth for a business, or at least it helps the bottom line. Maybe it's something like cybersecurity where you're cutting costs and you're being safer. Think, things that people find useful, they will buy in any economy. Yeah, and uh, Google and Facebook only really hit the ground running after the dot-com bust, didn't they? So it's absolutely right. Curtis, you're known for tech PR, but you've got a broader portfolio than that. Is there a difference in the tech sector versus your other clients from other sectors in, the, in what, what we're talking about here? You know, I think that the tech economy tries to look at things first and, you know, the furthest afield. And so when it comes to the economy, they're looking at what the economy is going to mean the next 12 months way before anyone else. And when I talk to other influencers in the space, they say tech is making the decisions now that other companies will be making 12, 24 months from now. And so I'm seeing a bit of caution, obviously, but I'm also seeing companies that are looking very opportunistically at this about what does this mean and how can they really take that decisive kills uh, hit right now. And it's a little Machiavellian when I hear all that talk, but you know, being a part of that conversation, I think it's also important for companies to think about what they're trying to communicate. So it's not just about, you know, dollars and cents. Part of the reason why we're here is we were giving a whole speech on purpose and how companies should really embrace a purpose-driven narrative. And that's because I think a lot of people are not just looking at companies and brands as places to give their dollars. They're also looking at investing a lot more themselves in these brands. And I think companies need to be able to really tell that story in a meaningful way. And one of the things that I have looked at is that many companies have a wait and see attitude about a lot of the important issues of the day. And if I had any counsel to them that they really need to shorten that window, they really need to think and look internally about what's important. So when those moments occur, they can act on them quickly and decisively. And I think that's going to be a lot more meaningful to those audiences. And I think that's going to really establish their leadership in ways that it couldn't be done if you're just playing it safe. But Eric, if we look at that marketing pie and look at discretionary spend, do you think the purpose slice is even more discretionary? And is that at risk as people go into more of a survival mode, given the fact that what Curtis is saying is super important? If you're going to get the best hires, you're going to get the best people, you're going to get young Generation Z engaging with your brand they want to know about stuff like this. Don't and, they? and you just said it, right? Because it feels like that's the first thing discretionary that you can cut, right? It feels like it's the most furthest removed from the bottom line. So, okay, we can do that in the growth times. We don't necessarily need to do it now, but I think you're right. The up and coming generation, this is their first downturn. So they don't know what to expect. How do you reach that younger audience, whether that's the talent you're trying to hire because you're trying to build a, a cool company and you need to find people to come work for you for the decades to come, or you're, you're looking for the future executive that you need to get on a B2B site, or again, that B2C span. So across all those dimensions, you're reaching people that are figuring out the world for the first time, especially that younger audience. The older ones, look, look, I'm in my thirties. Curtis is in his forties. We've seen this before. We know I know Curtis is laughing. Sure, I shouldn't have said he's 40. not over 40. He's I can't believe that. He's just over 40. He's just <laughs> over 40. But we've seen this before and it, it comes and it goes, right? There are bad times and there are good. So you need to stick it out for the bad times. The purpose-driven narratives are 
are generational, right? They don't disappear, right? If, if anything, the purpose matters more when the world is more than about money. Okay, hey, you know, we're not all, all making as much money as we used to be. So let's think about why are we working? Why are we buying? Why are we spending? What's the reason for this? And if I need to cut costs, let's say I'm a person that gas is too expensive. Inflation is hitting me. I lost my job. I can't afford groceries. I need to think about where and how I'm spending my money. So maybe purpose is that tiebreaker. Maybe I don't need a luxury good, but I'm willing to spend a few extra dollars on something that matters to me as a human being. Um, you've both come out of the media world. Eric, you've gone to get a, a proper wage in the world of PR, and uh, but you went many moons ago. What trends are you seeing in the media and the, that you engage with and you interact with in the daily course of your lives that, that, that PR pros should know about? Reporters have been in a contracting business for a long time. Unless you're a TikTok Tell influencer. Yeah. <laughs> Think about anyone that worked at a newspaper, magazine, TV station, CNN plus radio, you name it, right? People lose their jobs left and right every day, every month, every year. And that was happening in the good economic times, let alone the bad. So reporters, they want to keep their jobs. Editors want to keep their jobs. Editors in chief want to keep that ad spending coming in. So what do they need? They need audience. They need eyeballs. They need people to click. They need people to buy, subscribe. So what do they need fundamentally? Good stories. Why are readers going to go to their site or go to their publication? Good stories. So if anything, the PR industry needs to know, help reporters tell those good stories. Unearth those hidden stories of your companies, of your clients. Tell me something about the world through what your client has to say, because reporters are desperate for that because they want to look good in front of their bosses. Keep me, don't fire me because I'm cracking this code. I'm telling the interesting stories that your audience wants, and that's what's going to pay the bills here. I think, you know, when I hear good stories, I think you have to have a story that's going to give someone some sort of predictive tool that they can use. Because I think that too often I see media campaigns that are cute and are one note, but don't really strike me as something that I'm going to be able to take this and use it for something else, whether it's, you know, how to look, you know, under 50 or... <laughs> yeah, I need that one. I, I mean, you know, Botox only will take you so far, right? <laughs> and, and so I think that if I had any counsel to give, it would be that, how do you think you can help someone when we are, for example, creating a case study narrative, we're thinking, okay, how can we help a buyer? How can we help someone who's an aspiring C-level? How can we make sure that we are asking the next set of questions that they would want to interrogate us if they were having a conversation about how they can use this? Sometimes I, you know, channel my inner Spock and think, okay, how would I really get inside this? And I think that campaigns that do that are going to be the good stories that really help. You know, Eric, we were talking about the sort of pitches that you would get at Bloomberg, at CNBC, and some were really good and some were dead on arrival. Do you, do you have a sense about which ones were the dog pitches and which ones were the ones that get made into stories? There, there were a lot of ones that were too obvious or they were too self-aggrandizing of a company, right? This company is revolutionizing, blah, blah, blah. And it's like every company says they're revolutionizing. So what people forget is you may think that you're doing something unique, but when I'm the recipient of a hundred of these pitches a day, they all sound the same. Every company's bragging about itself. I don't want you to brag about yourself. I want you to help me tell an interesting story about the world. Give me something predictive. Give me a piece what, of data. What cuts through then? What What's the top tip as someone who was recently getting these pitches a hundred a day, like you say? 
surprise me in a way that's a subtle surprise. So it's this barbell, right? You don't want to be too far on either end. The things that are too obvious, I already know that. My readers know that. That's not news, right? We, You can just... Okay, I'll make an example today. Digital payments are taking over the world. I think digital payments have been around for a while, right? We know that, right? But now on the flip side, don't tell me something that is so surprising, so fantastic that I don't believe it and my editors aren't going to let me publish it. Like aliens have landed in Khan and they are now attending the conference. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to get to be able to publish that one without a few uh, few pieces there of investigation. There are a few characters around, that, to be characters. fair. <laughs> so give me something in the middle. Tell me something that I don't already know just yet, but if I heard it, I would believe it. It's that arm's length. It's one incremental step away from what I know now. And You know, I think the other thing is to package that stuff up. I've actually had people say, well, I'm going to make the journalist work for this. Journalists do not want to work for anything. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the guy was like, no, no, I, I want to just intrigue them. And then they'll, they'll pursue this and they'll ask questions. And I thought, no, they won't. They'll delete it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is self-service. This is absolutely self-service. Or, or I might delete it. Or what happens is I keep it in an archive folder. Like, I'm going to get to this later when I'm really bored and have nothing to do one day. And you go back to your email six months later when the Microsoft Outlook says you've run out of space. You're like, well, I'm never getting to that email again. And then you delete it six months later. <laughs> yeah. Let's finish up by chatting about Can. You know, why is it important to be here? What are the type of things you expect to learn or get out of it? And, and what, how do you, you know, rationalize it as a business uh, cost? Well, and part of what we just said about, you know, being a leader and being out there, we're taking a page from our own PR playbook and we are definitely being out there. The thing that I was really very proud about is being asked to join the people of, you know, Dove, Dell, uh, Micro, uh, MasterCard and Visa and, and Snap and, and talk to them about purpose driven marketing and why that's important and how to do it well. And our big point to them was that you can't be too careful. A lot of these brands are trying to have it both ways where they are sitting on the sidelines and they're making kind of okay little noises, but they're not really embracing the big issues at this day. And, you know, the thing is we get the world we deserve. And if brands are going to be on the sidelines waiting for the right moment, we're going to get a pretty crappy planet and we'll deserve it. And so I think that the thing that I'm seeing most in con is just the idea that there are some communication programs that are transformational in making us a better planet. And I really want to celebrate those. I think the conversation here has been very, very smart. Some of the panels that have gone on, like Curtis's panel this week and the other ones that we've attended and just talking to people that are here at, at all levels, right? So we're talking to the C-level executives and we're talking to those guys on the ground. Hey, you know, I'm back on the road again the last three months. I'm traveling. Here's what I'm seeing. So just getting that, that direct conversation from the people at all these companies. I look behind you over the balcony and we're seeing the big media brands with their tents and having those conversations. Like, okay, here's what, here's what we're seeing directly and, and you want to be back out there in person, right? Zoom can only get you so far. And, and seeing people in real life, they're opening up, they're willing to talk. The conversations are a little bit more in-depth and longer. So I feel like we're, we're learning so much each day. It's like a day here is like a week of what we would have learned back home. So I think that's where you, you justify the expense because you're accelerating, accelerating your knowledge this week. 
It's a marketing masterclass, and we're really excited to go and dig deep and really be inspired by some of the campaigns and ideas that we've seen and take that back to our clients and make it work for them. I absolutely agree. You do come away from here inspired. You meet some great people. You've got to take the notes while you're while you're doing it otherwise you just forget it all but um, yeah it's definitely a very inspiring and everyone's so pleased to be back at back together so yeah well enjoy the rest of the week eric curtis fantastic to catch up and uh, yeah thanks for joining us on this special pr week podcast from Cannes.